Good morning. Uh, glad to see you guys. Uh, we have 30 people signed up for this service, uh, so we'll just see if they trickle in. Uh, we felt like this was the best way uh, to resume, was to have a couple of options just to make sure nobody was turned away. So we're excited you're here and confident that you'll be encouraged through the course of the morning. We're so grateful uh, to be able to resume assembling together and worshiping. God's been really good to us through this process. We've uh, been able to honor civil authorities and uh, love our neighbors as best we can, and now it's time for us to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, uh, and we're excited to worship him this morning, so glad you're here, and take it away.
Good morning. It's so glad to see all of you here this morning. It's a wonderful time that we get to be back together, to fellowship together. Um, the Bible calls us to meet together. So it's wonderful that we get this opportunity. Uh, obviously, most of you have found out of, or know about the ePastor news that we have so that you could register for this service. Uh, but those are the guests that we have here, if you would fill out a welcome home card just so we can pray for you and your travels and also just so we can connect with you. So when you come and visit again, you will have a home church every time you visit Gunnison County. Uh, we also uh, would love to have you just check out our website, ccgunnison.com, so that you can find out more of what's going on uh, while we're here and how we're uh, still bringing glory to our Lord through meeting together and apart. So um, it's great that we can see all your faces, like I said. Um, while we were all apart, it was uh, difficult around here because it was kind of a big place with a few people, but we had uh, some good times here together, and um, it was uh, fun to see how we all put a production together of the service, and we were able to still worship the Lord together in remote places. But uh, part of that time, there were some uh, bloopers, and so we're going to start out today and just show you some of the bloopers that happened while we were uh, all apart, and uh, hopefully you can get a good chuckle out of them. Five seconds, count down. <laughs> oh, okay. Are we filming? Yes. I don't need to record yet. If you don't want to. I'll take the father's love for you. You barely even play. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do that again. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> Let me give you a heads up when I'm going to clear my throat. <coughs> it So, like, make sure you're not standing like you have to go to the bathroom. Do you need some foundation or something? <laughs> Is that the way I look? Yeah, I'm just used to it. Yeah. Now, so spotlight. I can't wipe my Kleenex in the middle of the song. I'm telling you right now, if my thing falls out, I'm going to have to stop everything. All right. So, it's lucky. Um. Are you going to some places? All right, let's end this note on a high note. Be sure to stick to the script. You're a new, uh... 
Good morning, Community Church. We're so excited to worship you. Worship you. We're going to start that again. <laughs> I swear we were social distancing. <laughs> Danger of putting something on camera. <clears throat> we are glad uh, that uh, we're able to resume and happy you're here with us this morning. Um, we have uh, talked a lot in the last two and a half months about what's essential, what's non-essential, and uh, we, uh, uh, the pastors in Gunnison Valley have worked together uh, to uh, petition the, the, the county with a plan on reopening churches safely, and um, we argued that churches are essential, uh, and just by way of a clarification, it's uh, churches are essential not because we're important. Um, uh, churches are essential because God is essential. And in light of what our world has gone through in the last two and a half months, uh, particularly with COVID-19 and, and just fear and concern and isolation and then uh, the subsequent deaths that have happened. Uh, and then also with the death of George Floyd, uh, the murder of George Floyd uh, and the uh, riots that have ensued all across the country causing not only uh, destruction to personal property, but also further loss of life. If ever our world uh, needed hope, if ever our world needed Jesus, uh, they need him now. And so we wanted to take just a moment this morning to pray uh, for God's intervention in our world. Um, and so if you would, bow your head with me, uh, and let's just spend a moment in prayer. <clears throat> oh, gracious and merciful Father, uh, we call out to you today. We come before you, uh, and it's our desire uh, not merely to worship you, but to seek you for the help that we desperately need in this hour. God, we want to ask that you would intervene in the world that you've created, that you would show yourself mighty to save, that you would set yourself apart as, as a healer, uh, as a restorer. We pray, Father, that more and more men and women around this, uh, the globe would come to know Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you would make much of Jesus in our own community, that, that every home uh, would know of Jesus' name and come to proclaim his fame. We pray, Father, that that same blessing would flow through the valley and around the world. And, and Father, we've learned recently in the book of Jonah that, that you love cities, even cities that are bent on destruction, even cities whose evil rises up before you. And, and God, there's so, much, um, there's so much wickedness and evil uh, on display in our world, and we desperately need uh, you. We thank you for your boundless love, uh, for, uh, for the places where your creation uh, inhabits. And we ask, Father, that uh, you would uh, be with people. God, it seems one of the enemy's strategies is to pit uh, people against one another, and we've, we've just become pockets of nameless, faceless uh, parts of society at, uh, at war ostensibly with others. We pray, Father, that your, that your mercy would be shown, that we would, uh, we would recognize that uh, increasingly that we are uh, created in your image, and that as your image bears, every race, every uh, color every tribe, every tongue, uh, that, that we are uh, uh, the object of your great affection. And it's for this purpose uh, to redeem men and women that Christ came into the world. And Father, we pray for uh, the family of George Floyd. We, we pray, Father, that as they grieve uh, his loss, that, that justice would be served. 
Uh, we ask, Father, uh, that, that you would move in such a way that, um, that the wrong that was done would be made right. And while justice in this life is never ultimately satisfying for those who have lost, uh, we are grateful that you are a God who will mete out justice uh, one day and in a perfect way. And we pray, Father, for the men uh, who perpetrated his death. We ask, Father, that you, would, that you would bring them to a place of repentance, that they would recognize the gravity of what they did and, and, and the wake of what has been caused as a result of, uh, of, of this kind of hatred from a human heart. We pray that you would draw them to know you, uh, their judge and their creator. And then for the many, the countless upright law enforcement officers who uh, every day walk into uh, uh, situations where they're not certain they will survive. Every day they uh, don a uniform and put on a badge and go out to protect and to serve. And they live with a, uh, an untold, uh, immeasurable amount of just post-traumatic stress, just not knowing. We ask, Father, that you would uh, help them, uh, that you would give them mercy and grace, that you would protect them that uh, we would, as a people would recognize the, the pivotal role they play and that, um, that uh, we would understand that they are just as much against uh, abuse, uh, police brutality. Uh, they, they desire just as much to, to be rid of that kind of law enforcement officer. We pray, Father, for their protection. And we ask, Father, for leaders, for leaders at every level, from the federal level all the way down, that they would be leaders who, who love wisdom and, and truth and who want to lead right. We ask, Father, that, uh, that leaders in Washington, that, that politicians would not view uh, their leadership role as a way to get what they want or to divide the people as, as some sort of game, but like with wis the wisdom of Solomon, they would seek to do right uh, by people that they serve. And Father, we ask for change. We recognize that core to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the idea of reformation, that, that what Jesus has started continues to reverberate out as you've changed one life at a time. And so we pray, Father, that, that a change would come uh, where it is necessary. And pray, Father, that we as, as your people would be an active part of that solution, that we would raise our voices, that we would, that we would speak out, that we would, uh, that we would uh, walk with the empathy of having put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Uh, and then we would uh, seek to be part of the solution. I pray, Father, that you would just tamp down uh, the, the destruction caused by this rioting that, uh, that kind of uh, muffles the voice of genuine protesters who just want to see change come. Mm. <clears throat> I pray, Father, that uh, you would continue to be with uh, our nation and our world as we walk through this process uh, with COVID-19. God, we, we, we lament for the loss of life. With six people in, in our own uh, county, uh, 100,000 or so in the U.S. and almost 400,000 around the world, we, we recognize that, that loss of life uh, is, is tragic. Uh, it's a tragic reality uh, to the world in which we live. And our, our prayer, Father, in this hour is not that somehow uh, we, we could ever hope to reverse everything that claims a human life. We, we just know that that's, that's not going to happen. Our desire is that people would come to know you and that they would be prepared uh, for when they will, that day will come when they will breathe their last. God, we just ask you to do what only you can do, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing Yeah. 
Bible with you this morning. Um, there's also one in the pew back in front of you. I'd invite you to open up to uh, Psalm 146. <clears throat> we're going to be in uh, Psalm 146 all morning as we'll work our way through that entire uh, chapter. <clears throat> so about two and a half months ago, uh, something emerged on the scene that pretty much shut life down as we know it. Uh, everyone was told uh, the best thing for us to do is to stay home. Uh, and uh, so we went into hiding, many of us did, and isolation and uh, loneliness and fearfulness and all that goes with that. Uh, but one thing uh, we've learned over the course of time uh, is that life goes on. Uh, just this past week, uh, a new jobs report came out. Uh, they were expecting 7.5 million new job losses in May, and uh, they had 2.5, the largest uh, one-month gain. So life goes on. Uh, as one author, Chaucer, said, uh, time and tide wait for no man. Uh, and so uh, as we return to church this morning, 
uh, I thought uh, a good thing uh, for us to do was, uh, was to reflect on the time that we've had uh, where life has not been normal, uh, where we've had a chance to kind of maybe evaluate or rethink about what's most important in life. Uh, and then as we move back towards normalcy, that we don't forget something very important. The Israelites uh, had uh, three times a day would rehearse to themselves uh, what's called the Great Shema. It was just uh, a reminder that they would uh, speak three times a day just so that they wouldn't lose focus in the midst of, of busyness. And the Great Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And so three times a day, like morning, about midday, and then evening, they would remind themselves of, of this most uh, critical or important truth. Uh, Isaac Watts once wrote, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My <clears throat> days of praise shall ne'er be passed while life and thought uh, and being last or immortality endures. So as we come to Psalm 146 this morning, we come to a, a declarative praise. It's called a halal psalm, uh, which means, uh, kind of stems from the word hallelujah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a psalm that's intended to be recited by all of God's people uh, in the context of, of community with God. And so as we come back together, I thought it was a, an appropriate psalm. And, and particularly the theme of this psalm, I think, is, is meaningful to us because the psalmist, uh, uh, essential, his essential, uh, the essential message of the psalm uh, is that while I'm alive, this one thing I, I have to do. Uh, this psalm is broken down into four strophes or movements, and uh, I'll unpack those for you as we go. Uh, it's going to begin with a demand or a command, and it's going to end with uh, the same kind of demand. And in between that, the, the psalmist is going to talk about his determination for the point he's making, and then he's also going to talk about uh, the delight in why we should do what he's challenging us to do. The substance and tone uh, of the psalmist underscore his primary thesis, which is that the praise of God is a matter of life and breath. So regardless of what's happened uh, in our, the past two and a half months, regardless of, of what happens in the course of, of, of your lifetime, uh, the most important thing that you and I are given to do is, is to discover uh, that there is a God who loves us, that we were created in his image, uh, and that our, the greatest use of our life, the greatest use of our tongue, uh, the affection of our heart should be uh, aimed at proclaiming his praise. This is, for the psalmist, a matter of life and breath. The psalmist argues here for the reasonableness of praising God. It's, it's kind of a no-brainer from where the psalmist is coming from. If you and I really knew God and, and we reflect on all that he has done, it's kind of a no-brainer that we should want to praise him, and yet we live in a world of sight and sound, and especially when the RPMs pick back up, when we get back to normal, it's easy for us to forget that he's there. It's easy for us to forget that the greatest use of our life, of our, of our tongue, uh, is to praise him. So the praise of God is a matter of life and breath. The first strophe is, is verses 1 and 2, and, and in these two verses, the psalmist uh, issues his determination uh, to praise God, or Yahweh, it uses the covenant name of God, uh, as long as he has life. Look at verse 1 with me. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. First of all, the psalmist says uh, he's, he's determined to praise God as long as he has life. This is where the idea of hallelujah comes from. Uh, it's a, uh, an imperative to praise God. Uh, hallelujah. He's worthy of our praise. This is as a command uh, to render to God uh, this boastful uh, excitement about who he is. 
And by form, it's directed to the community. Again, the idea of a halal psalm was that we would all recite it together when we gather together with God's people. It's meant for us as a people. Not, it's not just privatized for me. It starts by being for the people. And so in this sense, the psalmist is saying, you, you praise the Lord. It's your job to praise the Lord. We, we do it together. And then he moves from the corporate command to personal commitment. He's excited to practice what he preaches. Look again at what he says. Praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. And then he says, I, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Uh, the psalmist is quick to practice what he preaches. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, uh, and uh, uh, all that is within me, uh, bless his holy name, forget none of his benefits. The distinctive uh, in what the psalmist is calling for lies in personal responsibility and relationship. This isn't, just, um, this isn't just going through the motions. The reason why the psalmist is so excited about this is because he has a relationship with God. This is what makes, uh, this is what makes um, uh, praise so meaningful. Because it's, it's born out of an earnest reflection of, of who he is and, and what he has done for me. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to boast uh, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the psalmist here, he, he commands his soul, his, his real self, his, the very essence of who he is, uh, to this boasting about God, praising him. And his resolution uh, in verse 2 is, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He essentially says, you can say that again. There's not enough we can say about God. As long as I live, as long as I have my being, I'm devoted to praising him. Praise of God, our creator, should come natural, uh, but for some, praise never happens. Praise ought to, if we really knew God, ought to flow freely from our lips, but for many people, it never happens. It should recur regularly. That's why we're so anxious to, to be able to assemble again, because we love praising God. We love gathering together with his people, people whose stories we've come to know, who, whose stories may be different than ours, but they tell the same story that, that there's a redeemer God who overcomes sin, and he adopts sons and daughters, and we love praising him. It ought to be regular, but for many people, it's only sporadic. So renewed commitment, the psalmist instructs us, is necessary. He, his words are not wasted because we need to be called over and over again uh, to praise our great God. It's like what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when he looks back on all that God's done, chapters 1 through 11, and says, Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, in light of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. It's a daily command. We have to do that every day. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? Yeah, it, it crawls off the altar. So every day we have to get back on the altar to live for the Lord. It's an imperative command, uh, which means it, it perpetuates itself over and over and over, and such is the command to praise God. It must be renewed daily. Now, in saying that praise is a matter of determination and commitment, it's not to imply that it's a difficult or an unpleasant task. And so the psalmist moves to his second uh, idea, and that is to determine that praising God is a delight because it is God who is the only source of help and hope for us. There's no solutions coming out of Washington, no final solutions. There's no solutions uh, coming uh, from state houses around the country. Uh, ultimately, if we would find the help that we need, if we would find the hope uh, that we're longing for, then we must look to God. And, and for this reason, the psalmist says it's a delight to praise him because uh, he is the sure source of help and hope. 
verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes and a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. The psalmist uh, demonstrates his point by contrasting the foolishness of, of placing our trust uh, for the, the deep needs in life on anything less than God in contrast uh, to coming to know the true and living God uh, who is always faithful to his promises. Put not your trust in princes, he says. He denies that there's any real lasting help or hope coming from mankind. You and I may serve each other. We may be called to do a world of good around us, but ultimately uh, we will pass from this life, and when we pass from this life, our plans die with us. Not so with God. Um, this isn't an invitation to, toward rugged individualism. He's not saying don't trust political leaders, don't, don't trust princes, just rely on yourself. You know, you can count on yourself. That's not what he's saying. Uh, what he's saying is that, is that no person can trust. We shouldn't look uh, to anyone uh, for uh, the fix that our soul needs. This often happens in marriage. Husbands and wives will get married and they'll, they'll put too much pressure on the spouse to, to complete them, to be something in them uh, that, that the spouse can't measure up to. The, the God-shaped vacuum inside of us was meant to be filled by God, not, not our spouse. There are no answers, he says, coming uh, from mortal man, not lasting answers. Um, there's a limitation to what uh, we can do. Now, it should be said that we have a responsibility to do. Scriptures call us time and time again. We're, we're created in the image of God and meant to be like him in that way. And so we are intended to help those in need, to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, on the subject uh, of, of what's tearing our, tearing our country right now, uh, you and I ought to be arguing for reform. We, we need to take the time to put ourselves in someone's shoes uh, and then to argue for the kind of change that will prevent someone like, like Derek Chauvin from continuing to be a police officer. In the world of upstanding, uh, moral, good police officers, there's no room for that kind of person. Uh, and it, there needs to be some kind of process to make sure that uh, there's not another George Floyd. And it's our responsibility to help be part of that solution. But the greatest contribution that we make uh, to our culture and to the world around us is to reminding them that, that there is a Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's what this world desperately needs. And so like the psalmist, we, we need to deny that there are any real, lasting, eternally significant answers coming from mortal man. And then he gives this strong uh, antithetical parallelism between uh, verse 3 and 4 and verses 5 and 6. He says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith, faith forever. He affirms that all lasting help and hope come to us uh, from our Creator, who is faithful forever. Uh, this is a beatitude. It's, it's kind of like the most pivotal part of the psalm. Uh, a beatitude pronounced on those who trust in God uh, because he is eternal and almighty. So why ever trust in a creature, uh, something other than God, something other than our creator? The psalmist says it, it, it's, it's ludicrous to do so. Consider what he says. Verse 5, he says, uh, those whose help is the God of Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs, Abraham. Uh, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and what the psalmist is saying is, if you want to check out God's resume, it goes all the way back to the beginning. And he's been faithful generation after generation after generation. If, if this God of Jacob is the place that you look for help and hope, then you've come to the right place. 
This is a pregnant phrase because it, it speaks of God's covenant relationship with his people. God's covenant, are, are, the covenant that God has made with man is always based on him. It's not based on us. You remember when God made the covenant with Abraham, he had Abraham divide the sacrifice and lay it out. And then God passed between the sacrifice. Abraham didn't go with him. It wasn't about Abraham. It was about God's ability to make a covenant and to keep it. This is who God is. And if this, if this is the God that you've looked to for help and hope, then you won't be disappointed. God is faithful forever. From the time of the patriarchs to our own time, generations have passed. God has proven himself time and time again to be faithful to his word, to be true to his covenant, never veering from his purpose or promise. Millennia after millennia uh, is an incredible test, and he has never failed because he is eternal. Uh, he is God, and we are not. He continues in verse 5 and says, Blessed is he in whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He uses the covenant name of Yahweh throughout this passage, but, uh, but here he, he says he defines who God is. He, he's uh, Yahweh, uh, the unpronounceable name of God, the, the covenant name of God, but he's also personal God. He's, he's also my master. This is the word Adonai. It means a, a present and personal God. I have a relationship with him. And so complementing history uh, with uh, God's faithfulness to his people is this idea of relationship to a person. The psalmist says God isn't just an abstract concept. He's not just a religious ideal. He's our God. He's my God. Jesus isn't just something I talk about. Jesus is someone who saved me from my sins. I met him. I encountered him. He's changed my life. The psalmist says this God who is, who is faithful consistently is also personal and as such worthy of praise. The help and hope that we need uh, there, we see it in this passage, has always been available. There's a past uh, sense of God's faithfulness where he's been working through his covenant people. There's a, a present sense in which he's still here, he's still doing for us now, and he will be faithful forever, past, present, and future. So <clears throat> he is the creator of the cosmos. Uh, the psalmist goes on to say, uh, he is the God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Uh, he's not just creator, he's sustainer and protector. And, and, and this is the climactic point uh, of this particular strophe because uh, what he's saying is that the God of, of covenant bond, of personal relationship, the creator of all, the master of the sea, this God remains faithful forever, for all eternity. Is there anything more surprising uh, when we consider uh, how dark the human heart seems to be that God would continue to show mercy and extend grace and to love us? Is there anything more astounding? Yet that is who God is. Yahweh is faithful forever, and we who trust in him are blessed. Uh, see, <clears throat> something, seeing something of who God is, we may now know uh, uh, who we are that trust in him. We're blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts. This is not static, uh, but the pursuit uh, pursuing with excitement, chasing God with excitement because he has set his affection on us. We're, we're blessed because of him. Verse 5 forms <clears throat> the heart of this psalm. It's the, it's the most important verse. There can be no greater blessing than to be rightly related to God, the God of creation uh, forever, and to have him help uh, and give us hope. Uh, this is what we desperately need. And so he moves to his third uh, strophe, verses 7 through 9. 
where he begins to describe why God is worthy of our praise, and it's because he ever aids uh, the hurting uh, and the hopeless. Verse three, uh, the, in these three verses, there are eight, uh, uh, syn- uh, uh, there are eight elements that are uh, synonym, uh, synonymous parallelisms. And then he adds a ninth idea. So let's start by looking at the verbs. Verse seven, he says, who executes justice for the oppressed? who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. We are reminded in in this particular movement uh, that in these eight things that God characteristically aids uh, the helpless and the weak. You know when you look at this that uh, in these verbs, it doesn't say anything about... uh, uh, humanity being overcomers. It doesn't say anything about, about people uh, being self-made. The truth is, the way he dis- this almost describes humanity, we all fit in the same boat. Uh, we all need what God has to offer because we're helpless and hopeless apart from him. These verbs, <clears throat> it says God executes justice. He gives food. He sets free. He opens eyes. He lifts up. He loves. He watches over. He upholds. Uh, this, is the, the, this is the work that God alone can do for the creation that he's made, which is why he's infinitely worthy uh, of our worship and why in coming to know him, we benefit from his character. Most of these are participles, uh, which means they have a durative, continuous action. This isn't, God didn't just do this for people in the Old Testament. He didn't just do this for a select chosen few. This is who God is. This is what he desires to do for his creation. It's durative and continuous, which is hope for you and I today because if we need him, and surely our world does, we will find that God is still in the business of doing these things. He's still lifting up those who are broken. He's still binding up brokenness and healing, giving sight to the blind, uh, releasing the, the oppressed. This is who God is. It's what he's about. Then we look at the nouns in the verse, which are basically a description of the helpless and the hopeless. The oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the eyes of the blind, those who are bowed down, the righteous, sojourners, widows, and fatherless. The one positive statement in there is the, the idea of righteous, but oftentimes in the Psalms, righteous, uh, the righteous are described as being under affliction, receiving abuse, or being despised. So when, <clears throat> when the psalmist mentions in Psalm 146 the idea of, of the righteous, it simply means that those who have turned to God, those who come to know him because we have no righteousness of our own. It says of Abraham that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. So even in this, uh, we find that, uh, that, that righteousness is, is only uh, that which God does in us in the midst of a difficult life. We're all in the same boat. Life is hard, but God is good. God's not just interested in, in bringing us to a place where we don't need him anymore. He's not just trying to make everything right because that's not how this world works. As much as we might like to find a solution to every ailment that causes death, it's not going to happen. We're going to live our allotted time and we're going to pass from this life and our plans are going to die with us. But in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of hurting and hopelessness, there is a God who seeks to do good. There is a God who reaches out to us to help us. The psalmist doesn't want us to miss. He wants us to be impressed by the the repetition of the use of the name of God. Five times in these three verses, uh, we see the word, the name Yahweh, and then uh, he is the unknown subject in the first two and the last. Look again at them. God who executes justice. God who gives food. 
Yahweh who sets prisoners free, Yahweh who opens the eyes of the Lord, Yahweh who lifts up, Yahweh who loves, Yahweh who watches over. He upholds this God, this Yahweh who is faithful forever. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. And it sends in contrast to what he has told us in the previous strophe. Don't look to someone else. Don't look to a mere mortal man to be the answer to your problems. It's not going to happen. You want to know who to look to? Let me tell you his name over and over and over and over again until you come to know uh, that his name is synonymous with his characteristics. And this is the point that the psalmist is making, that characteristic blessings issue from the character uh, of the resplendent name of our great God. Say that again. That characteristic blessings, those, those things that we most desperately need, and I'm not talking about pie in the sky and, and uh, the things that we spend our time uh, fantasizing about, I'm talking about meeting our real needs, uh, the person who's in bondage, the person who's oppressed, the person who's blind and can't see, the things that God specializes in doing are simply born out of his great name. And so to know him is to know that he is the hope and help that we need in our helplessness. This is not only uh, a comfort to the weak, but it also confounds the wicked. He says in the end of verse 9, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Who is God for? Uh, who is the blessed person who receives the help and hope that God provides? It's the person who comes to know him and who longs to praise him. This is why the psalmist says, let's all praise the Lord together. Let's lift his name up. Let's talk of him. Uh, we do this in community with one another because we <clears throat> come to know here how God has changed our lives. But the church, the world desperately needs to know that there are people who praise a true and living God. Our world desperately needs to know him. The wicked <clears throat> would be that person who has refused to find in Yahweh uh, the source of help and hope they need. Our culture, our country, um, will engage in the coming months, as we've done many times before, in a dialogue to try to bring about change. It'll get pushed up to Washington. Washington will have some high-minded ideas. We'll throw money at it, and then the cycle will repeat itself. It's just the way it is. When we fail to stop and recognize that what we most desperately need is the intervention of our creator in our world, the God who made us in his image, who knows what we were meant to be and do, until we get to that point, there will be little lasting change. Then we come to the psalmist's last strophe, where he demands the praise of Yahweh, who reigns for all time. Verse 10 says, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Uh, in his final words, we observe the reign of God is, is presently active. Uh, he's not only faithful forever, he's engaged now. He's, he's not just a distant de deity like the deists believe, uh, who's kind of turned his back and he's disinterested. God is, is, is actively involved in our world. The Spirit of God is, has come into the world uh, after the ascension of Jesus Christ to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. He's actively at work uh, to lead men and women to come uh, to the answer for what plagues them, uh, and that is to find Jesus Christ. Again, the verb form here uh, is a habitual imperfect. By saying he reigns, he's saying that there was a time when he reigned, uh, he's reigning now, and he will reign forever. He is on his throne. And this is one of the reasons why the believer can have such confidence in the face of fear. We needn't worry about what's coming our way. 
Part of, part of the tragedy of, uh, of what happened in nursing homes all across the country with COVID-19 is, is these people were isolated. No one was there to look after them. Um, so many people have just been uh, paralyzed with fearfulness. But if you know our Creator, if you know our God, he, He's a sovereign God. He knew the day you would breathe your first, and He knows the day you're going to breathe your last. And there's nothing you and I can do. Now, we should be good stewards. We don't need to be foolish. It's not an invitation to play Russian roulette, we, but we're trusting him. We don't have to worry about what's coming our way. My mom was always terrified of flying, and so she wouldn't do it. <clears throat> and I used to tell my mom, Mom, you know, if, uh, if you're supposed to die in a plane crash uh, and you never get on a plane, you know what's going to happen? A plane is going to fall out of the sky and hit you on the sidewalk. Uh, it, that, that's, that's just the sovereignty of God. He knows when we will breathe our last, which means that we can leave that worry or concern with him and then live. And in the living, which is what the psalmist is trying to motivate us to do, in the living, while I live, let me use my life to praise God and to make him known. This is what we are to be about. This is why it's so important for us to, to resume the work of, of, of advancing the gospel and sharing uh, the mission of Jesus Christ because men and women desperately need to know him. The God who reigns forever is a maxim of theology. This is the most important thing. He is the, he is the only one uh, who's not, who stands apart from time and space. He's not limited in any way. And I re read this past week that one of the, <clears throat> one of the downfalls to uh, our constant connection with stories and information from all around the world is that it, it, it's left us with this sense of omniscience and omnipresence that we weren't, our souls weren't meant to carry. You're not responsible for everything that goes on in the world. It's, it's hard to carry all that. And, and, and I think it, it's, it tempts us to stand in the place of God. We're always passing judgment on things, taking in more information. But that God is the uh, only one who remains forever is a maximum of theology. It's a place to root our faith. It's a place to remind us uh, that it is only through the lens of, of God's uh, as creator and sustainer that we can understand all things, which is why theology is the queen of all sciences. Apart from God being at the center of the universe, we may understand some things, but we'll never make sense of everything. And most importantly, we'll never change our heart. The God who reigns forever for my good, this is what the psalmist says, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. The God who reigns forever uh, for, the, for my good is an expression of my relationship to him. And this is what leads the psalmist to his final uh, hallelujah, because, again, it is not an impersonal God. It is a God who is for me, and I've come to know him, and he is infinitely worthy of my praise. Uh, the Essenes uh, were uh, a sect of, of, of Jews who were very zealous to protect uh, the scrolls of Scripture when, uh, when uh, they were uh, under duress. And so they hid uh, many scrolls of Scripture in the caves of Qumran, which were discovered in the mid uh, 40s, 1940s, and in those caves they found in earthen jars, complete, like almost the complete uh, text of, of Isaiah. They found so many uh, portions of, of the scrolls of scripture and that they had protected them. Well, uh, among the things they found in those jars, they found something called the Manual of Discipline. It describes uh, ideals, basic theology, purpose of community, um, and it concludes with these words. As long as I exist, a decree engraved shall be upon my tongue. For fruit of praise and for a gift of my lips, I will sing with knowledge. And all my music shall be for his 
holy fixed order, and the flute of my lips I will raise in his just circle. Now, every one of us in a relationship with God is called to praise. The chief end of man is the glory of God. The, the greatest thing you will ever do, the greatest thing your lips will ever speak of is, is of God's glory. This is what you were meant for, created for. And in this, we find our greatest joy. You will know no greater joy than to come to know the Lord and to praise him for who he is. And that is a responsibility that we carry with us all the time. You and I ought to use in our private time our lips to praise the Lord. We're to praise him wherever we go. But the halal psalm uh, reminds us that, that, that the praise of God is meant to happen in the circle of community. We're meant to praise him together, which is why this was a beautiful psalm for today, because we got to come back. We're meant to lift our voices together, uh, and in lifting our voices together, uh, we're reminded from person to person uh, of a God who overcame your sin, and a God who overcame my sin, uh, a God who, uh, who binds up brokenness, a God who fixes marriages, uh, a God who restores things. And as we praise him with full voice as the community of the church, uh, we declare his great name to the world around us. The world desperately needs to see a, a church that knows how to praise God and praise him loudly. And as we do, more and more will come to know him. By a life of praise, we respond to our always faithful God. And it's good today uh, to be in the company of God's people and to praise him. May we be, as we move forward, uh, a church that returns uh, refined to some degree. May we hold uh, a, a little less tightly to things that do not really matter. And in releasing those things, may we love one another well, and may we pursue faithfully the worship of our great God that more and more in our community and around the world would come to know him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are, as you declared to Moses, uh, the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we praise you today for who you are. God, our prayer is that everyone who uh, comes to our church um, would, would know you for who you are and that they would discover uh, that you are, uh, you are the God who offers real help and hope in times of need, that, that you delight in helping the hurting uh, and the hopeless. And may we, as we learn uh, consistently to turn to you with our own needs, may we become faithful conduits uh, of a message that there is a God who can help you with this. There is a God who can overcome this. You just need to yield yourself to him. Come to know him for who he is and then and be the, become the blessed person who benefits from his character. <clears throat> we consistently say that we desire to make Jesus great from our church, from the mountains of Colorado to the remotest parts of the world. And we say that because we believe with all our hearts that Jesus is the answer that the world is looking for, that there is no lasting peace apart from him, that he is a, you are a God who specializes in justice, which will roll like a river one day, and you are a God who makes all things new in accordance with your righteousness. We praise you today that you have blessed us so. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.
onto your aisle uh, you should have found at the end uh, communion I want to encourage you to grab that right quick and uh, we're going to celebrate communion together <clears throat> not quite our custom just yet but uh, I'm not crazy about the wafer but uh, it's a individualized packaged prepackaged so it's safe <clears throat> so as we come to the celebration of communion uh, we're reminded uh, of, of perhaps the greatest reason for God being praiseworthy, and that is because he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to come into the world uh, to redeem us through his own sacrifice that we might be forgiven, set free, and made his own sons and daughters. And so on the night uh, before Jesus was arrested and betrayed, uh, he sat with his first disciples in the upper room and he took the bread and he broke the bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you take this bread, meaning we, we should, again, it should be durative. We should come back to it to remind ourselves uh, of, of the hope that Jesus Christ is for our hearts. As often as you take this bread, uh, do it in remembrance of me. So church, let's remember Christ. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup in like manner and said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Scripture says, apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so for millennia, for thousands of years, they had been waiting uh, for, the, for, for Messiah to come, for God's answer, the lamb that he told Abraham he would provide. And so Jesus lays down his life after living uh, before us in a perfect example. And in the shedding of his blood, he provides the atonement for our sins, the, the, the means by where uh, we are forgiven the, the, the means whereby our sins are, 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 for, are, are uh, washed away and we are set free to be who God intended us to be. Mm. And so Jesus says, as often as you take this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So church, we remember that Jesus' blood is what makes us not only right with God, but gives to us the spirit of reconciliation with one another. Let's remember Christ. Amen. Now would you stand with me? So glad that you were here this morning. Um, I know for a period of time, uh, it might not feel like we have critical mass, but uh, starting with, we'll continue to evaluate, but this was the best way to ensure that there wasn't anybody we were gonna turn away. Uh, so I'm glad you're here. So probably in the, uh, I'll, I'll communicate this next week, but we'll probably continue uh, for, for the foreseeable future, uh, this approach. So glad you were here this morning. I hope the Lord encouraged you. And um, now go into the world and commit yourself uh, to the discipline of the Israelites before us, to remind yourself continually throughout the course of a day or to allow the Spirit of God to remind you uh, that God is worthy of our praise. And in praising Him, praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the evening, uh, praise Him in the midday, praise Him all day long. Uh, and then don't forget to praise Him, especially before someone who desperately needs to know Him. God bless you. You're dismissed.